Good morning, my name is Jason Wormsley and you're with the Be Connected Business Show on coastradio.com. I'm fortunate enough today to have with me Dr. Fiona Price. Hi, Fiona. Uh, Hi, Jay. How are you going? I'm very good, thank you. So look, bear with us. We're just going to play a bit of music and when we get back, we'll have a little chat with Fiona. I have a picture
Welcome back. My name's Jason Wormsley, and you're listening to the Be Connected Business Show on coastradio.com. I'm lucky enough today to be here with Dr. Fiona Price of Globalized Consulting that specializes in navigating cultural differences. She provides training, consulting, and coaching on cross-cultural communication, and I'd like to say welcome aboard. How are you today, Fiona? I'm very good. Thank you, Jay. So, look, Fiona, it's great to have you here today. And what I would love to know, and I ask this of everybody, is is what's your backstory? What took you to do what you do today and why are you doing that? Well, part of my backstory is very obvious. It's my cultural background because I have an Anglo-Australian father who went to work in Malaysia as an Australian volunteer abroad. And when he was there, he met my mother, who is Malaysian Chinese. So ultimately, I'm a bicultural person myself. I had to grow up navigating two cultures in my own household from the day I was born, more or less. So that's the most, the first building block of my backstory. The second building block is that when I arrived at university, I discovered that because there are so many international students these days from East and Southeast Asia, as someone who has one East Asian ancestry, Southeast Asian citizenship mother, and an Anglo-Australian father, I was ideally placed sitting on the fence between the two cultures of most interest to universities. So I started then working with international student support and international student orientation. So that's where I got my start. Fantastic. And can you tell me a little bit more about Globalised Consulting? Well, Globalised Consulting started a few years after that. I was doing a PhD at the University of Melbourne in cross-cultural psychology And towards the end, I found myself about to run out of funding without having finished my thesis, which is not uncommon when you're doing one of those. And I thought, I'm going to need to get a job so that I don't starve to death before I actually get this uh, piece of paper. And I found myself a job on campus training international students who are about to enter Australian society in understanding Australian English, Australian society and the Australian learning style, because classrooms in Australia work very differently from most of the classrooms they would have gone to in East or Southeast Asia. Okay, so could you talk to me more about navigating cultural differences? What what exactly does that mean? Well, what it's effectively got to do is the society that you grow up in um, is a very plays a very important part in your understanding of the social world. So that means that what you think is good and bad, what you think is right and wrong, polite and impolite, ethical and unethical. So to go to that um, example where I actually started, which was working with international students, a lot of students who've grown up in, say, China, for example, are used to a classroom culture, which is very different from an Australian classroom culture. And these days you have someone who's gone through school in Australia and they're used to having a fairly casual dialogue with their teacher in the classroom. There's a lot of times when they're asked for their own opinion, they're asked to come up with their own ideas, they're asked for their own analysis on things, and they're not supposed to copy anyone else's because that's plagiarism. You get a very different dynamic in a Chinese classroom. So there, it's a monologue. The teacher gives you the knowledge and the students are not supposed to say anything in class unless invited to speak by their teacher. If they don't understand something, they're not supposed to interrupt the class because that's really rude. Instead, you might kind of whisper to your friend and ask them to clarify That happens in an Australian classroom where the teacher expects your full attention and there is a dialogue. The teacher gets quite annoyed and says, excuse me, could you not talk to your friend while I'm talking? In China, that would be seen as an appropriate way to get help. Rather than interrupting the class for everyone else and being disrespectful to the teacher and to the other students, you're discreetly sorting out your own problem your own way without interrupting the class. So you have someone who's used to that. That's their normal framework in China, arrives in Australia and starts studying here. They behave as if they're in a classroom in China because they don't realise that the rules have changed. 
And when they start to realise it, even they realise now I'm me- I realise now I'm meant to ask questions if I don't understand. I'm not meant to talk to my friend if I don't understand. I'm I'm meant to come up with my own ideas, my own opinions, come up with my own original analysis. They realise slowly that they don't that they have to do something different, but they don't know how. They haven't had you know, 12 years in the Australian education system to learn. So effectively, what I'm doing is helping people understand that the reason why, for example, your Chinese students are passive or reticent in class is not because of their personality. It's because of what's normal in the classroom where they came from. And if you want to, them to adapt to what's normal here, you need to realise that it's new for them and teach them the skills they need to get up to speed.
there Fiona we, we were talking about navigating cultural differences and we've with everything that's gone on with COVID um, with the fact that everybody's now using remote teams there's a lot of people using VAs uh, around the world specifically the Philippines India yep. stuff like that are you finding that it, it's becoming a lot more uh, harder to navigate out there than it, than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago? I think this shift to doing lots of work online and hiring VAs and so forth has actually brought this cross-communication issue into focus for a lot of people who wouldn't have had to think about it before. Because if you've now effectively got a, a personal assistant who's in another country, it's very different from if you've hired someone who's migrated here. So if you've got someone who's living in Australia, they can see all around them that things operate differently and they tend to start adapting and understanding the Australian style of doing things faster. Where if someone's living in the Philippines and their only connection with Australian society is you, their boss, it's a, it's a very different kind of ballgame. They're not getting exposed to the new rules of the new society they're in in the same way. It's really up to you as their, as their manager to kind of help them understand what you want from them and how you want someone to behave. And those same issues in the classroom with the Chinese students not coming up with their own ideas, not asking for clarification and those things because they're not used to it, will come up in a VA business owner kind of relationship. So what we do know out there uh, is there are a lot of multicultural names out there. Uh, how, how would you, for example, you're dealing with a business owner or you're dealing with teachers. These are the people that are going to come across these scenarios. Yep. How would you help them with things like multicultural names or language barriers? What tools and tips and resources do you have available to, to make a nice smooth transition for this for these people? 
what I've usually done when it comes to people like teachers is I've been running training programs for them to help them understand how and why cultures differ. And it's no one's fault. I don't want to, I don't want people to feel that there's anything wrong with being the culture that, you know, with the culture that they've grown up in. That's, that's normal for them. There's nothing good or bad about it. And I think often people do put this construct of it's bad if you, you know, treat people like this. I'm thinking it's very much what's normal for you is not what's normal for your student. It's not what's normal for your VA. Recognise whereabouts your normals differ. So that's part of what I do. I teach them how what they think of as normal, normal for a manager, normal for a teacher, is different from what the person they're teaching or working with is. And I sort of help them find constructive ways to find some middle ground, teach each other each other's preferences about things, understand what they see as good management and look at where the differences are and find ways of negotiating those. So it depends on whether we're talking in a workplace, whether it's virtual or on site or in a classroom, but I'm just giving people tools to understand where the differences lie and give them tools to help bridge that gap. So one of the things that I often do is I help teachers learn how to provide structured, clear instructions on what they expect of their students. You can't just say, I want you to participate actively in class because that's not a meaning, that doesn't mean anything. They don't know what participate actively in class is because they've never heard that phrase before. That's not something they're expected to do at home. All they can do is kind of watch their fellow students through their own cultural lens to try and figure out what's happening. And it takes, and it can be quite a steep learning curve. Whereas if the teacher breaks it down for them, what I want you to do, this is what I want you to do and shows them some examples of what they mean, you're speeding up that learning process a great deal. And do you have any examples of people that you've actually worked with uh, that, that have seen dramatic results through you using these processes? Absolutely. One of the things that I, I do a lot with teachers is I, I sort of take a look at their learning materials. I observe their classes. I give them some direct tips on how to explain things. To give you one specific example, there was someone that I watched uh, running her classes. She said she had huge problems just with very basic instructions. These are newly arrived students who've been studying in Asian countries before that. She says, I'd say, get into groups of three and they'd stare at me blankly. Now for her, that's a perfectly normal part of a learning environment in Australia. You know, get into groups of three, you know exactly what to do. You don't have to think about it, you just know. But these students had never ever had to do this before and they're not sure. They sort of stare at her blankly and they sort of stand in, stand in groups of three. She says, yeah, yeah. And, and pick up the stuff that I gave you. And, and sit down, sit down facing each other and ask each other the question. And they really hadn't, didn't have the first idea of what was meant to happen. And what she eventually did, I sort of talked to her about this and I said, look, they've probably never had to do this before. So what she ended up doing is I got her, I organised with her to write some simple, straightforward written instructions, which was when your teacher asks you to get into groups of three, number one, take something to write with and any instructions your teacher has done, has given you. Number two, find two of your classmates. Doesn't matter whether you, whether you know them or not and sit down facing each other. Number three, follow the, and so taking it very, very clearly step-by-step. Step. And she'd hand those little pieces of paper out rather than give those orally to the whole class because she had some people who were educated here. She'd give those out and she noticed a very dramatic difference because the people who were locals would look at the instructions and say, what are you giving me these for? And they just pass them on. But the people who needed them read them and they finally understood exactly what they needed to do. And from then on, all those group activities started moving much more smoothly. So, so really what you're saying is it, it's a case of just understanding. You, you don't understand yeah. what the people have been through before mm. and, and therefore, yeah, you, you don't know what you don't know, unfortunately. <laughs> I, think, yeah. uh, I think that's the, the, the case in a lot of businesses out there mm. today. I mean, personally, I've got uh, two Filipino VAs and it, it actually... 
started off rather rocky because I can be a little bit, uh, a little bit upfront. I'm a very mm. that sort, you know, move, move, move sort of person. I had to learn mm. very quickly uh, to, to move away from that. So, yes, so taking yes. taking that into consideration, mm. what what do you feel for particularly for business owners, not particularly mm. teachers, but for business owners? Yep. What's the biggest obstacle they are going to have to overcome when they are employing people that are not born in Australia? I think essentially it's assumed knowledge. Anytime you're working with somebody who grew up in a different society from you and you think to yourself, yeah, but you just know that. You just know that if I've given you something and you don't understand that you ask, you you just know that's just common sense. Because remember, common sense is only common to people who've grown up in the same society as you and often in the same demographic as you. I mean, someone who grew up grew up on an Indigenous Australian settlement uh, in the Northern Territory is going to have different common sense from you because the common sense you need in that environment is different from what you might need if you're a business owner living in, in Melbourne or Brisbane or something. So be careful about what you assume people should know. If people don't do things that you think they should just know, chances are, that's not common sense where they come from. I think one of the things that you need to be careful about, just assumptions, being assumptions what people know, always being very transparent about your expectations is one of the things that people often don't realise just how much they expect their VA to just know they're supposed to do X, Y and Z. Never assume they should just know things. Always spell it out clearly.
I've had a couple of chats uh, over the last few weeks and we've told a, a few little stories. And, and one of the ones that intrigued me was the, the one about the billboard. Uh, could, could you just, uh-huh. just go through that one again for me? Well, one of the things you see in Australia and also to a degree from the UK, which is where you come from, um, is that we have a very different attitude towards profanity, towards swearing from a lot of other parts of the world. 
Um, in, in Australia, for example, it's seen as it's partly showing that you're being irreverent. It's showing that you're down to earth. You're not kind of full of yourself. You're quite happy to sort of use language which is considered a bit coarse as a way of showing that you don't stand on ceremony. You're not pretentious. However, in a lot of other countries, countries which tend to be a little bit more hierarchical, as Australia is more egalitarian, countries that are more hierarchical will really see swear words as quite offensive, as quite inappropriate for someone who's playing a role as a professional, for example. So one of the things that happened once when with this, around this swearing thing, I picked up an Indian couple once from the airport because I was, I was looking after them. I was helping them uh, understand Australian society. And as I was driving them to their accommodation, they saw an ad, one of those drink driving ads that you see in Melbourne, which said, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. Now, in Australian society, bloody was once considered quite offensive. It's still considered a swear word, but it's considered a very swear word light. But the Indian couple looked at that billboard and they were shocked. They said, madam, there is a swear word on that billboard, they said. And I said, ah, yes, there is. I'm sorry about that. You'll see swear words on billboards sometimes in Australia. And they said, why doesn't the Australian government stop it? And I had to tell them it's an Australian government billboard. <laughs> and they were really shocked. But that actually highlights very clearly the difference in rules about what's considered appropriate for the government in India and Australia. In India, a government would never put a swear word on a billboard. Yeah. That would be seen as very crass, very inappropriate, setting a bad example. In Australia, it's seen as connecting with the people. <clears throat> it's being real. It's being down to earth. And I had to explain to them the difference there because that was something that they're going to experience in Australia when they're living here. Mm. I think you've got to be very careful as well. I don't think it's just, just foul language. I think sometimes uh, you can come out with a flippant comment uh, that, mm. that, that is, is widely regarded uh, as, as normal over here. And, and a, a scenario, uh, a role I used to have, uh, a lady that was working for me, I asked her to do something and she said, I don't have time, can you do it yourself? And my response was typical Anglo, you don't have a dog and bark yourself. And next thing I'm, oh. I'm hauled up in, in front of the HR for calling her a dog. I'm like, no, I, I didn't call her a dog. But just something so simple as that can be so easily misconstrued and, and, and taken out of the, the complete context. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that what, what you're doing is, is you, you're trying to level the playing field uh, mm. so that, that everybody can get on. And it, it's just those little things. So I love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's something that uh, I also flag quite often, and that's the use of idioms, things like why have a dog and bark yourself. Those sorts of things, if you've learned English as a second language, they're things that you don't tend to know. And I found that very much myself when I was studying Chinese as a second language. Whenever someone used a little idiom, a little saying, like, why have a dog and bark yourself? I was completely baffled. Why are they suddenly talking about dogs? In the, I once saw someone having this issue. They were saying to a room full of people who'd grown up in other societies other than Australia. Now, most of them had quite good English. But uh, she came up and she was saying, so how are you going? She was asking them how they were working on their project. And they said, by train. And that's because they'd learned <laughs> they'd learned American English. Yes. They had studied English as a second language from an American teacher. Well, you don't say, how are you going? You say, how are you doing? So when their teacher came up and asked them, how are you going? Meaning, how are you going on this project that I've given you? Uh, they thought that she was referring to going somewhere. And they said, oh, what a nice manager she is. Ask, making sure that we'll get home okay and making sure the trains are running or something like that. And I remember then after that, she changed it to, oh, no, sorry, sorry. I mean, how are you rolling along? 
and they're working on these trolleys. So they roll the trolleys back and forth. Oh, it rolls very well. Thank you, madam. <laughs> so on both fronts, on one hand, she's using an American phrase rather than an Australian one. And the other, she's using an idiom saying, you know, how are you rolling along? Because a project's like a wheeled vehicle that rolls. And they thought she was making a reference to the trolleys that they are actually doing their project work on.
Australia is working hard to ensure we all have access to safe, effective and free COVID-19 vaccines, which will give us the protection to go about our everyday lives. The COVID-19 vaccines are being assessed carefully by independent clinical experts to ensure all potential vaccines meet Australia's high safety and quality standards. After vaccines are approved, they'll be rolled out, going to those most in need of protection first. To keep up to date, visit health.gov.au. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra.
Now, Fiona, one of the things you specialise in is is multicultural names, which which are, it's absolutely fascinating. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, this is something that started out when I was still working at that university. I went around and asked people about how have you found communicating with people from other cultures? And out of about 50, 60 interviewees, probably 90% said one of their biggest day-to-day issues was getting their names right. They couldn't pronounce them. They'd see them, they'd have to ring them up or something like that. And they'd look at the name written and they didn't know how to say it. The person, they'd meet the person face-to-face and the person would tell them their name and they couldn't really process it because it was too foreign to them. And they'd get the person to help them out. And then they'd see them two days later and they couldn't remember the name because it was a collection of foreign syllables that didn't make any sense to them. Or they'd be trying to onboard a customer. And if they presented them with the boxes saying given name, middle name and surname, and the person's got a six-part Saudi name that doesn't fit in those boxes. And so they found that there's a lot of their data, their personal name data for their in their system was very, very messy because their names only really work for names that follow that Anglo-Saxon structure. So they had the messy databases, a lot of embarrassment face-to-face and difficulties contacting people or having to refer to them when they've only seen their name in writing. So what I did in response to the interviews when I discovered this was a major issue was I developed a short training program in which I covered all the languages important to that organisation and I taught people how to pronounce them, which part's which, go this part's the surname or in some other cultures there is no surname for names from this culture. If you want to enter it into a database, this is how to do it. And here are some of the common names. Let me show you how to pronounce them and give you a guide to how letters are pronounced in that language. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing you there. Growing up in, in England, uh, very multicultural, as you're aware. Uh, a lot, lot of migrants came in there. And a lot of my friends as children are Indians. And I always found it really strange that, that there's that many cultures out there with, they don't follow that, that Anglo-Saxon structure. Uh, mm-hmm. for a name and, and a lot of people what we would class as a surname is actually their first name yep. and, yep. and I, I remember teachers doing the roll call at the beginning mm. getting it wrong and, and you know all the class would laugh so they, 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 it, it, I think it's like a little bit like a minefield out there and you mm-hmm. really have to be careful so so yep. my, 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 my last question for yourself is, is what sort of businesses or, or, or industries do you particularly deal with A lot of the industries that I deal with are those who do uh, face-to-face customer service. Anyone who's sitting sitting at a service desk and needs to communicate face-to-face with customers or clients who uh, haven't grown up in a Western English-speaking country will often have difficulties in communicating effectively. Part of that's because you get people who don't approach questions the way someone might if they're a native English speaker. Native English speakers, we tend to put the point up front say, I'd like to buy A, and you'd say, and then you explain why, often you'll get people who come up and they give you the backstory before they get to the point. And that sort of stuff can wreak absolute havoc with a customer service desk. People who are on the phone, talking to people in uh, native speaking Australian English, talking to someone who's not a native speaker, often if you're a native Australian English speaker, you don't know how to make your English international. You don't know how to do things like trim the idioms, how to simplify your grammar. Often when Australians are trying to be friendly and connect with someone, which is very common for a business owner, you're often networking, you're trying to connect with people, you're trying to get customers. The way Australians tend to approach it is we are sort of informal, we're friendly, we sort of are a bit, we joke around a bit. And that approach isn't necessarily going to work too well, especially if you're trying to connect with people by by using a lot of colloquial language. 
I remember watching someone give a tour saying, oh, there's a bit of a restaurant area. So if you're getting a bit peckish and you want a bite to eat, you might want to check out what's going on down there. And the group of people he was talking to looked absolutely blank <laughs> because he was using all this language, which was informal and slangy and friendly to him. And to them, it was completely incomprehensible. He might as well have been speaking another language, not because their English wasn't good, but because they spoke formal classroom English and he was speaking colloquial Australian English. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I first came to Australia, I was looking for something in the cupboard uh, and my in-laws, so I, I married an Australian, and, and my in-laws said, what are you doing in the cupboard? I said, I'm just having a root. And, and <laughs> they just looked at me horrified. And on what? Because in England, if you're rummaging for something, you're rooting for yeah. something. And to turn yeah, yeah, and say, I'm yeah. having a root in the cupboard, uh, it just... So it's just, it's just those little things. I think we've probably all got little analogies, everybody that, you know, I did this and I didn't realise why people looked at me as yeah, if I was yeah. stupid. So, uh, but, yeah, look, Fiona, yeah. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on today. I, I really appreciate you coming along. For anybody that's listening that would like to get in contact with you, what's the best way for people to do that? Probably the easiest way to get in contact with me is by email. Okay, and your email is? Globalize uh, with an ISE at internode, I N T E R N O D E dot on O N dot net. No worries. Thank you. And if you didn't manage to catch that, just send an email through to the station uh, and I'm happy to connect everybody that uh, wants to have a chat with uh, Fiona. So, Dr. Fiona Price, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure today. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Yeah.